Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Crisis Podcast. This week, I chat with Tennille Dunkley, who is the founder of Space Creators Co. She is also a fellow for this year's Climate for Change. In this episode, we talk about sustainable living, but not just from an environmental perspective. Tanil highlights the position of how sustainability needs to be considered in many different facets of our life, from the way we run our business to the reasons we want to grow our business to how we're taking care of our bodies and how we run our homes. It's a super interesting episode and a really interesting perspective on what a sustainable lifestyle can look like to each individual. I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this one. So let's jump straight into episode 26 of the podcast. How can we lead a more sustainable lifestyle? The Millennial, the Millennial Me. This is The Millennial Crisis by Demi Kotsouris, Wi-Fi not included. Thank you so much, Sunil, for coming on The Millennial Crisis podcast. I'm so excited to have you on this morning. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Honestly, it's a... Yeah, I've been really excited to talk about uh, Space Creators Co and share a little bit about it with everyone. Now, we actually, so I I guess we know each other through Nomad. You worked for Nomad Academy, which is the program I was on. Everyone would remember that from season one. And then I've seen you doing so much stuff on sustainable living and sustainable business and, and you just launched And I was like, okay, I need to find out more about this. I need to see what Tenille's doing. I'm excited to, I guess, jump into everything today. And I'm sure the listeners are super curious on what we are going to be chatting (laughs) about already. Yeah, no, um, I think it's great that we have been able to connect after we never actually met each other. But um, (laughs) we had so much conversation in between, um, you know, going on the program and all the things. And yeah, now we're here. Yeah. So I start off every interview with three simple questions, your name, your age, and what you do for work. Sure. My name is Tenille Dunkley, um, Australian. I'm 28. And for my work now, I am kind of self-employed, but also studying at the same time. So I have just kind of launched a business called Space Creators Co., which is focusing on sustainability and self-awareness and the sustainability part of it is more so around not only your own life but also business and entrepreneurship. Just to kind of give people a little bit of background it would be cool to to show I guess everyone's in different situations now because of corona which is is um, difficult for us all to adapt to but do you want to give people a little bit of background of I guess where you were pre-corona and how that has kind of shifted you now? Yeah, I mean, you can definitely um, relate to this one, I think. So before Corona, for the past kind of two years, I was part of Nomad Academy and helped them build that startup, which took young entrepreneurs on educational programs for three months, focused on building meaningful careers. So I was originally actually one of their participants on their second program and then was hired from there kind of not only to run the programs, but also to help design the experience part. Before that, I had actually been managing and kind of doing the PA for Super Yachts for five years prior to that. 
but that gave me a, a lot of skill in organization and figuring out, okay, how does the, how do things work in different countries around the world and making sure you knew every single thing that had to be done because I was working for yeah, some of the wealthiest people in the world. So I used those skills in Nomad. And what did you study after school? Was the super yacht stuff the gap year for you? Is that what it was well, this is the, this is yeah. the hilarious thing you, you guys are all going to be like wow she's already had like three career changes by 28 so at school I loved medicine and still do um, all about human health which is also one of my main draws to sustainability um, but I actually studied paramedical science so to be an ambulance officer and during my last year I wanted to take a gap year before kind of committing fully to doing the student paramedic year and that's kind of when I went to yachting and I loved it so much that I stayed for five years <laughs> and only this year. So I've been gone for almost eight years now until obviously right now being back in Australia. But only this year, I kind of had that will to kind of come back and be like, okay, what are my new interests? What have I learned since I've been gone? Because there's been so many kind of, you know, life revelations between now and then that I learned from all those experiences. And that's kind of what drew me to the sustainability environmental sector as well from the experiences I've had abroad. I love that. And were you based all, all in Europe during that period? Because I know you were in Amsterdam for Nomad, but before that, was it all around there? Or Yeah, so I started in Europe. So the first place I ever moved was France. First two years was all the way kind of to Cyprus and everywhere in between in Europe. Then I moved to the Caribbean, all around the Caribbean, and then also the US. And then when I moved with Nomad, uh, obviously we traveled around a lot for the programs, but I was based in Amsterdam there for, yeah, basically the last two years. And that was the first time I'd actually lived on land in Europe. So <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was a different change of pace and I was kind of ready to be more settled somewhere at that point. Everyone's listening like, oh my God, wow. This is the audience that you're speaking to as well. Is We want to hear about all of these different career changes and trying new things because I'm sure that it has shaped you so much in ways that you probably didn't even realise before you were going on that initial kind of gap year. Would that be Yeah, true? 100%. I mean, I think if we relate it back to corona and the current situation of being in Australia now where, you know, we're so used to living lives all over the place and having that kind of freedom to travel and work from multiple locations. I actually grew up in the outback of Australia. So my family was very rural. I, I grew up in the middle of Queensland on a farm. They live on the coast now, still in a rural location in Queensland. But coming back home has kind of really made me realise what we're taught when we grow up. And the things of you have to go to university straight away, you have to have your career, you have to understand and know all these things you want to do with your life. But only now at 28, after having all these life experiences and being super open to kind of whatever comes your way, have I actually gone, no, this is what I truly believe in. Like these are my values in a job that I won't take anything less than this. And even if it's a good opportunity, if it doesn't have this, this and this, then I know it's not going to give me any you know, value. And then that's made me want to study something else and, you know, grow in that area. And I feel like <laughs> we aren't really taught that much in school because you'll say, you know, you have to go to uni straight away. And I feel like so many people would gain so much value if they spent the first, you know, even two or three years out of school 
having cultural experiences, opening their mind up to different things in the world. And even if it's something along the lines of what they might've wanted to study, you know, do some kind of cultural exchange program. Yeah. I think it would make people have so much more value in the job that they choose because they wouldn't get, you know, to 25 to 26, early thirties and be like, why am I in this career that I have no, you know, interest in anymore, but I've had all this experience and I feel like now I can't change out of it because that's so much harder than it is when you're younger. Um, I mean, I do feel that a little bit now, like even coming back to study, I feel like, oh, I'm a bit of an older (laughs) student now, but I do see so much value when I'm speaking and connecting with other students at university that are just coming out of school versus, um, you know, even older students than I am. And it's like, oh, wow. There's so much diversity and experience here, but I definitely see that like, I'm so happy to have had those experiences for myself and be more set in what I want to do and know that now. And I do wish I had that when I was younger. I'm not sure if you feel the same, but I was speaking to a friend the other day and, and which she was abroad as well doing the digital nomad thing. And, and we both said that while we were away, it was so much easier for us to not care so much about what, everyone else at home was doing like there was always that level of comparison and I found an extra level sometimes like an extra pressure to achieve something while I was away but it was easier to put new ideas out there or say yes to other ideas because there wasn't that community kind of pressure or people questioning your decisions all the time did you find that while you were abroad and how has that changed since being back yeah I mean I think I'd kind of split it into two portions whilst I was abroad. Like when I was not really settled somewhere, I definitely felt that like that, like, you know, it would be so much like, yep, I'm just going to go do this. Not really worried. Wouldn't really think about what other people would care about it either. Like I'd just be like, yeah, sweet. I'm going to, you know, go climb this mountain or I'm going to achieve this or whatever it is. I think it's slightly changed a little bit for me when I moved to Amsterdam full time. And that is because I had this community it was a community that almost pushed me to a new level of of being able to achieve things. So it didn't feel like a stressor, but almost like this, I really want to do these things and moving home. Well, um, (laughs) like I worked through some serious stuff going home because I just felt like, you know, I hadn't lived at home since I was lived in Australia since I was 20. I moved out of home when I was 17 and now I'm back at my family home and it was just like all these things coming back like oh god like people are going to expect me to be doing all of this stuff because I've you know I've lived this life overseas or I've lived and done all these things and they're going to have this expectation of like oh what are they going to do now and it was just like yeah that's kind of it's just kind of like whatever and I've mm-hmm. kind of got into that thing now it's like I don't have to and I don't have to worry about what people care but I did have this feeling like I had to almost really succeed when I got home, even though the rest of the world was falling apart. And I was like, oh, if I don't succeed in this moment, like everyone's going to think I've failed, but no one really cares. <laughs> so, yeah. It's more of that self-judgment, I think. And I've definitely, like yourself, I think had quite a few conversations with friends, like close and also just acquaintances. And it's just that openness and that vulnerability of being able to share that feeling then makes you connect and realize that, Oh, like I'm actually taking this out of proportion. Like I can just still keep working on the things I was working on and it doesn't have to be all organized within like a week. 
like I was setting myself ridiculous goals. It's like, oh, I have to have this whole thing like done and have it completely set and it has to be perfect and people have to love it. And I'm a perfectionist at heart. And yeah, that's just not realistic. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm so glad you said that because I think uh, sometimes the assumption is like people may have heard that first story and, and been like, especially if you are stuck in, in that regular life in terms of like staying in a corporate job or whatever and moving up those ranks and thinking, you know, oh my God, I had done that. I wish I'd done that. And it is, the grass is always greener when you're put in different scenarios. Everyone at the end of the day is feeling the same way that they're questioning different things. And I'm so glad that you said having those conversations and being vulnerable with people that are close to you because majority of the time you'll find that they're experiencing a similar thing just in a different situation. I think it's so important to, to chat about those things. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So let's start jumping into a little bit of the sustainability side of things and sustainable living. So in your eyes, what is sustainable living? So this is like, it's so broad. And um, I think that's one thing that really kind of overwhelms people of trying to understand sustainability. And I think, through studying it back at university, this term, I've just, you know, it's just really broadened the scope for me of things that I didn't even think about. And it's very different for every single person. And I think that's the importance of it. For me, sustainability is an individual experience because no matter where you live or how you live, it changes. Basically, <laughs> a good definition is to like live in a way that doesn't take from future generations. So you're not living beyond your means, whether that's financially, whether that's from a resource base or whether that's from, you know, depleting your own energy as a person and burning yourself out. So it's looking at the whole people, planet, profit and making sure it's regenerating itself and not taking more than we can kind of put back into the system. Cool. I love that. And I think that's like a digestible way for everyone to, I guess, understand. And the other thing that I noticed on your Space Creators um, Instagram account and website, you mentioned a lot about circular living. Could you explain what I guess circular living is as well so we can start getting some of those definitions out of the way? Yeah, of course. I mean, so circular living, and this has kind of been more prominent kind of in the past few years that is coming out with a lot of countries are looking at circular economy and all of that kind of thing. It's basically changing a perspective from uh, a cradle to grave system, which is kind of what we live now or many people live now where you're taking something and whether it be like a materialistic product or whatever, and it basically lasts the length of an average life. Um, And circular living is looking at like anything we have is cradle to cradle so it can be reused generation after generation and it's going back into the system so whatever product you create it can be recycled or it can be repurposed and it can go back into the system so we're not continually taking from like an extractive process but using what we already have so things are made with more quality things have you know a future of of use rather than just that one life because it obviously is not working very well and we've been taking much more than we can actually put back into the system so it's just that perspective on that because I think like you you said it, it can be quite overwhelming for people to 
think about sustainable living and how they can do better because we're just slammed with all of this information. And especially I know for myself, I'm started learning about all of this perhaps like a year ago and straight away was like, Oh my, the whole way I've been living my life has been terrible. I was a huge fast fashion consumer and like, (laughs) Oh, okay. I need to start learning. I guess when did you start getting into this? And then from there we can move on to how people can start thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, in different areas, like I think I've always had an interest in, I guess you could be like eco or, you know, you know, proper brands and things like that, that do really nice, um, like sustainable, uh, like linens and things like that. When I was younger, I was all about that kind of lifestyle. I don't know whether it was because I was environmentally conscious or it was just kind of a thing that was in at that point in time. And I was vegan when I was 20 and then, you know, I've gone non-vegan and all the things. So I've always kind of been in that realm of kind of concern, but I think for everyone at some point, there's this experience, there's some kind of experience that you have that kind of brings a certain amount of awareness that you can then no longer, you like, you can't get away from it. And you're like, I have to, I have to change. And it can either be super overwhelming or you can be like, okay, I'll take little, little steps. I think that big change happened for me probably about two years ago. And yeah, that was kind of when I moved to Amsterdam and and all the things. And up until that point, I had been doing more like individual little things. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll kind of go zero waste. I'll kind of do this because that's nice. And I like living that way. Then I went to like a protest, basically like an environmental protest along with a friend in Amsterdam. And I was like, oh yeah, like I've never been to this. I thought it was kind of radical. And was like, I never saw myself as an activist. I thought, oh, that's a bit much for me not that kind of person, even though I'm quite like extroverted. And then I started to reconsider like systemic changes of like how businesses run and all of those kind of things. That's when I started thinking about, okay, like how, how are things structured in the world? Like how is, you know, the food that I get from my supermarket, like how does it get there? Is it sustainable? Like all of the little things. And then I felt that sense of like overwhelm of like, oh my God, nothing I'm doing in my life, even though you know, I thought I was quite conscious, (laughs) nothing is good enough. And then I started to look at things. I was like, oh no, actually there's really small changes that you can make an impact. And it's like breaking it down. And I think even breaking it down into that people planet profit thing in your own life can make a huge difference. Cause then it's like, okay, I'll focus on this for a little bit. And then I'll focus on that for a little bit. Mainly two years ago, when I changed from thinking of it as a just me problem to a collective, like working with other people problem was when I really started to get into living in a more and kind of voicing a more sustainable way and thinking about, okay, how can I make a difference on a bigger scale? What I love about your story there is that you, you mentioned that it was two years ago that you started to look at things at that real macro scale and thinking, okay, well, what can I do outside of myself I I remember I said to my friends a while ago I went to my first protest too and I said wow this like hippie thing they're (laughs) onto something aren't they you know I remember something (laughs) and the way things like that are portrayed it's that they are so alternative and then when you actually get inside it you think 
on no, it's pretty logical thing. <laughs> yeah, we should like, probably yeah, be sense. living in a way. Yeah, like too. And and I think the the thing is that I I love about the work that you're doing is it's combining that business side and also the sustainability side, which I think living in like a capitalist society we can't hide from, can we? Yeah. We work in that kind of system, so it's okay. Well, how do we get inside that to teach people that? Yeah this is the only way forward. And so I think for anyone that's listening now, it's going to be really comforting for them to think, oh, okay, it's not, it's not the end of the world. I can start small and then who knows where that will lead me, which I think is, yeah. it's really amazing. So thank you for sharing your, your sustainable journey there. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing that I really want to touch on is that on your Instagram, you mentioned sustainable living mixed with self-awareness it's a really interesting combination but I think it's it's so important I guess what what is the relationship between the two for you yeah I think this was actually like I learned this a lot in my last job when we were working at Nomad talking about meaningful careers and things like that and it made me realize because I was kind of on the side doing a lot of activist stuff during that time as well it made me realize the difference between meaningful and like purposeful and all of these things that they didn't necessarily take into account environment but people were having these like self-awareness experiences like okay like I found my purpose I found this if you then start talking to people when they have an awareness experience around what's happening in the world so for instance we were in Bali and we were on this super remote island one of the smaller ones like off the main island and I've literally like never seen so much plastic in the water. I was just shocked. And a lot of people were super shocked. And for them, like I had all these conversations around this and so many people were like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not going on plastic or I need to figure out like how we can do stuff. And some of the people actually then started changing their business ideas around like, okay, maybe we do something in Bali to help them with the plastic problem and all of this kind of stuff. That's when I started thinking about the difference between someone who, for instance, creates a business and then does environmental or sustainable practices because they are looking at it as a brand kind of marketing scheme. And then someone who designs their business because they've had a self-awareness experience and they can't deny the fact that they have to change their business because they understand the deep impact of what's actually happening. And when you have that self-awareness experience, and you go, oh my God, like this is like affecting me deep into my core. Like I can't deny this, that's happening. You can't not build it into every part of your business. So from the ground up, you're thinking about how does this affect the people that work for me? Then you go, you know, to the other side, how does this affect the people that are, might be in my supply chain? How does this affect the people that are buying my product or experiencing my product? And you're looking at it from the whole thing. And then you're also going, okay, how does this affect my profit? Or can I make it in a way that is like I have less, but it's more sustainable for me and it's more sustainable for the people that work for me. So you start building your, your whole business around this idea because you feel like you've had that personal experience. Whereas you can build a business or you can have a company that go, oh yeah, we do this for the environment, blah, 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 blah. But this is our main product and you know, but oh, we, we, we give to this company and they sort out all the environmental stuff. And that's what I'm trying to focus on is amplifying and empowering the people that have had those experiences and want to really kind of, or help and need that push to kind of grow and think about, okay, what is the sustainable practices for me? 
or if people are having those experiences and they're, they're kind of stuck and they're like, I don't know where to start or I don't know what I need to do to build this business, but I have this idea and obviously, you know, sustainability is such a big thing. It's like, okay, like how can we help that person to further educate themselves so they know, okay, the next step is for me to think about all the people in my supply chain and how they're being affected. And then it's like, you know, a continued system and then also being able to connect all those people in that space because that's where we should be at in 2020. It shouldn't be like a secondary thing. And yeah, I just feel like you can't, if you've had a self-awareness experience, then you can't build a business that doesn't bring, bring that into it. A lot of the big decision makers, especially when we're looking at the larger kind of corporate industries, they are that boomer generation, like they are the decision makers. And do you, I don't know, and, and this might be too like far out there and we're making too many assumptions, but do you think that a self-awareness experience for them would be as effective as like a bottom line number crutch of projections the older generation have grown up with a very different system to us and have been able to trust that system because it has worked for them at that point in time but there are definitely a lot of people who are coming out I think still in that older generation going yeah we're realizing it doesn't work but yeah as for the self-awareness experience I think you know they've also already had a lot of experiences as well so as to whether that only works for us (laughs) Or maybe they're just, uh, you know, not as open. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky one and probably not giving enough credit to that generation either because, I mean, this is something that has been happening for how many years? It's just now we have more information and it's more in our face thanks to things like social media and the internet and all of that stuff. Like you said, companies are forced to do the good marketing and PR thing of saying, well, we're doing this and we're doing that and and forced to be more ethical, which I think is great. But in saying that, like you said, I think it needs to be not just a a PR thing and, and more into the crux of the business and how can we do more and be better. I'd love to talk about Space Creator Co and and what it what it is and and what your plan is for that how you're going to solve this problem that you've seen. So, it has a few different layers of it. It's for me it's always been about the people. So, the main thing is that I want to kind of empower, amplify and advocate for people who may not have had the voices they've had or that they are doing really good work. So that's obviously like through systems like a podcast and the blog and kind of sharing their stories and their journeys. But it's mainly for them to be able to share their experiences of, okay, how hard was it for them to actually make a sustainable brand? Like how hard is it to actually do those things? You know, looking at your whole supply chain for the system, you know, creating something that's sustainable in a system that isn't sustainable in itself, like poses challenges. Because you have to figure out of how to go around certain things. And if you're a small brand and you're working with manufacturing companies in China, that's really hard. <laughs> like I was talking to someone yesterday and, you know, she's a small brand and she's been working on this thing. And it's like until she gets to a certain point, like she's got sustainability at the core of her brand and all the things. But until she gets to a certain point, there are different challenges that she just can't really do herself because, you know, you don't have the finances or you don't have a big enough amount of clients yet and all those things. So sharing those stories. So if people want to do something similar, they can learn from each other and go, okay, this is what I need to do. These are the challenges I might face. Creating structures for communities so they can have that whole think global, act local. So as these businesses are created, say, in Queensland, 
in Australia and someone says, oh, wow, this, this group of people created this community garden and it filled this whole community up and it became this regenerative thing. I can do that in my community in the Netherlands or I can do that in my community there and use the same structure and learn from them. So you're creating all these little networks around the world that are learning from each other that are kind of part of the system, but not having to use it as much. So creating that and sharing and amplifying those stories so people can use it in multiple locations around the world. That's kind of the, the crux of the thing is sharing those stories. Our main thing is to amplify, empower, educate around sustainability in business and, and self. I love that. We're all about startups and entrepreneurship and how the barriers are really low to entry. In saying that, that really kind of counteracts the sustainable living side of things, doesn't it? Because it's like, okay, quick manufacture, all the drop shipping stuff. And I'd never thought of it until you had kind of mentioned it then. So I think with something like Space Creator Co, it's like, okay, well, how do you flip that now to say, yeah, let's get these startup stories, but let's get a startup story with a twist. The other problem is now we're seeing over the past five years as entrepreneurship has become so trendy, we're seeing the people who have succeeded start saying they're not happy and Mm -hmm. money hasn't made them happy. Success status hasn't made them happy. And I come, like I've been working a lot around like people's working wise and their purposes and all of this kind of stuff. And come to the conclusion that, oh, like just fixing one area of your life doesn't really work, does it? So taking that self-awareness in the business and building a bigger picture and really sharing those stories, I think is really going to connect with people because giving them the solution saying, you you can't, you don't have to not do this, but this is a way that you're going to do it. And these are the hurdles you're going to face, which you're going to face anyway with a startup, even with scaling up your business, there's always going to be hurdles, but I think it's really cool to be able to share things in a different way and say, well, the change actually isn't going to be more hard or less hard than what it was before. But even so your payoff is going to be a lot better. Looking at your business from a holistic perspective, everyone's going to work better. It's all going to work and it's why I really wanted to chat to you because it's going to resonate with a lot of people. And then I think that's an interesting point that you make about obviously with the so much going into people wanting to be digital nomads and just creating a business of like, okay, how, how can I create a business so I can work from anywhere in the world? Mm. And it's like, I can, you know, I can sell shirts online or I can drop ship online. And it's like, okay, question number one, where do the shirts come from? What are they made from? Who made them? you know, all of these things, you can do it fine. But at the end of the day, it might get you the ability to travel around the world. And I'm obviously speaking from a very privileged point where I have done a lot of travel. Will it make you happy at the end of the day? Not necessarily, because if you're just doing this to then go do this, go do that, go do this, then at some point, you're probably going to get bored with it. I've definitely, I don't know whether you've had this, but sometimes if you have traveled for quite an extensive period of time, you literally crave normality. It's like, I actually just want to be in a bed for longer than a month that, you know, doesn't have a funky smell or doesn't have weird sheets or like, you know, feels a little bit like home. And then at the end of the day, your business is just doing something that you don't love or that you don't super resonate with. If you then get to the point where you also don't really get anything out of the travel or you need a break from it, then the whole sense the whole sense of the thing you just don't feel good about it Mm. so from the very beginning it's like okay like how can we 
change that? And also how can we change the mentality around this, like hustle, grow, hustle, grow, hustle, grow, <laughs> like entrepreneurship, because I'm like, Oh man, I've done that. And it was terrible. Like I hated it. Like I was, I mean, I, I was loving life, but it was also super miserable because I was just so tired. That's unsustainable. So now it's like, okay, how can I build this business? So certain parts of it run for itself and that don't stress me out. Or how can I like, you know, get someone to help me in the things that I really just don't enjoy doing. Mm. And then I do the things that I love, but also taking the time out when I need, like if anything, Corona has taught me is switch off all the things because there's so much noise out there that you just don't need to hear and you do not need to read. And I think this is a new wave of, entrepreneurs that should be coming through and I spoke to a girl a few months back who's kind of like in the holistic wellness industry and she was like yeah like I'm so for this whole like wellpreneur thing where (laughs) it's it's so over this masculine I need to be an entrepreneur and I need to hustle and I need to do the work to no I'm going to take time out when I need and then I'm going to keep doing my thing and then I'm going to take time out when I need and I don't need to have everything on this exponential form of growth um, which yeah, it's a change in mindset yet again. But I think a lot of that is stemmed around sustainability. And it's like, okay, you have to look at the whole system. What is sustainable? Am I as a person functioning without like, you know, whatever, am I sustainable in the way I'm living for my body to regenerate? Is my household sustainable? It's all the things. It is really interesting because it all, the more I speak to different people in different areas, it all ties in. Like there is no one without the other and you see it come full circle because when we talk about, let's say we use the example of a digital nomad going away and doing a drop shipping thing to make money. If companies were more flexible and really understood that people work the best they work when they're in an environment that they kind of thrive in and allowing Mm. more of that remote work or having more open conversations with employees, then people wouldn't feel as though they need to make that money on their own. Because from some of the research I've been doing, the, the majority of us have a side hustle or something we're doing on the side, but what we're seeking at the end of the day is community. People don't want to, entrepreneurship is really lonely. And I think that's the thing that people forget is motivating yourself and working for yourself is so lonely and also so much harder. And that's why the people that you see that thrive and thrive quickly always in that partnership or have like three co-founders or something like that. And they're able to kind of push each other. And the reason they work at that fast pace is because of that, they're both just in the zone and they've got that community where they both show up every day and push each other and that kind of stuff. Whereas we feel all the pressure to do it on our own because we're like, well, the workplace is crap. You know, (laughs) we're just this like, you know, we're just a number to them. And because we felt like we're not cared about, we feel as though we need to do it on our own and that we need money to fund our Yeah. You know, and I don't think even when it comes to like the travel side of thing, I don't think that a meaningless like job or whatever is enough. Travel isn't enough to feel that happiness or fulfillment. You need to have all of these other aspects kind of come in in, in one. And and yeah, it, it's it's so interesting. And, and it's really like when I first, from our first conversation, it really had me thinking, wow, I didn't realize how much this really builds into 
everything else. And I was going to say everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so... I think like what I'm kind of excited, but also a little bit apprehensive to see is as things go back to some kind of normal mm. um, with Corona, I've had chats with a few people in Sydney who normally work for large corporates and, you know, things in terms of office spaces and co-working spaces have super changed over the past few months. Cause obviously like people were working from home, but a lot of businesses have actually downgraded their office sizes and like trying to figure out some way of um, organizational office time different for their like workers so that, you know, they're not always in the office, but they have different days of the week where some of them are there, some of them are from home and all the things. And I'm like, this is kind of a new space that we're entering into, which we didn't have before. And it's like, is this the kind of kick that bigger companies needed to say, okay, we actually don't need people in our office from like eight until six or whatever it is. I've never really worked in an office. So I don't know. <laughs> eight until six, like every day, like Monday to Friday, or can we have them working from home half the week? And then people just need to be in the office for, you know, certain meetings or, you know, because I do think there's value in both. I think there's definitely a lot of value in working alongside your team member and like being there and having those chats and like, you know, having that motivation together. But then there's also that time where working by yourself and reevaluating, okay, what did we just discuss and how can I move forward with this information and being in that environment that is more comfortable to you. And you feel like, yeah, I'm like just happy to kind of have some music on in the background at home and like enjoy my lunch at home. And maybe, you know, my kids are at home today or whatever it is. And I think, yeah, this is a really interesting time that we're seeing that maybe that sustainable work-life balance that's not, you know, having to be in the office all the time might start to come through. And it's kind of exciting. Yeah. Work-life balance is something that, that we speak a lot about. But I think these days, given the types of work that we have, majority of people or the thing that is more realistic now is really that work-life integration. It's how do you mix the two? Because we know that different people work in better in different times and different environments. And I think with, when it comes to like a flexi workplace, we're still trying to be so black and white. Like I see always on LinkedIn, the articles like Google and Twitter are now fully remote. They're never going back to the office or like four day work week. They've been trialing it and that's perfect. And it's like, it's, but it's not like, I think we're missing the point here. The point is, with the individual, right? Every yeah. person is different. And I know that makes things so much more difficult. But the thing that I'm trying to work on is like, how do you change the HR department now from being like recruitment to like cultural workplace? And how do you shift that? To, this is a place where you say, I really work well in this way. And this is how my productivity is going to increase versus making assumptions like that. And I'm going off topic now, but it's just, my head just keeps turning because of all the things you're saying and, and the way it kind of. No, but that, that is, a, that is part of sustainability because you're, if you take yeah, someone's, yeah. if you take someone's productivity and you look at the productivity for that individual, someone's most productive time of day they might work from 11 p.m. till 8 p.m. That might be their day. And I know a friend in Amsterdam, he's a coder, and he's like, yeah, from 1 p.m. until like 10 p.m. is where I love to work. And he's like, in the morning, can't do it. Like I sit at work for the first five hours of the day or whatever, and I'm just looking at a screen. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's not productive for the company. It's not good for you. Like you hate being there at 7 a.m. in the morning. What's the point? And this is where like companies should be looking at an individual and going, okay, 
what are the levels? Like how can we place things and like how can we put someone in an office or like wherever they're going to work from? That's good for them. It's best for their health. It works best for their productivity because, you know, everyone's different. Exactly like you said, like whatever works for one person doesn't work for another. And that's all part of having to change our perspective on who even started saying that you had to be at work from nine to five. Like who who designed that? I don't know who designed that. I know. The like workplace culture is like the modern day Bible. It's like, you know, we had this set of rules and everyone just decided to follow them and then never really questioned it. And now the people that are doing things different are seeing all these results and we're starting to see the evidence behind it. And people are like, maybe there's something. That, you know <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna have to research that now like who who developed the nine to five because it should not exist i love it now i've just got one more question for you before we jump into the final questions that i ask everyone yeah i want to i want to hear a little bit about your thought process in going into study and making that decision to go back to uni yeah so i mean i definitely had this because I finished up working last year in December and then kind of didn't really have anything after that. I was like, oh, what am I going to do in 2020? And, you know, thought it was full of possibility. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll go back to study because I'd felt like I really wanted to enter the sustainability space. And I'd done a lot of self-study just through reading books and, you know, going to different workshops in Amsterdam and, you know, listening to people speak and TED Talks, all the things. And then I was like, no, like to be, t- I felt like to be taken seriously, I needed to have some kind of understanding. I needed to like go into some kind of education. So I'd been thinking about it for a while, but then I had no intention of coming back to Australia at that point. And it wasn't until late January where it's like, okay, nah, I need to go back to Australia for a few months. Maybe I'll look at studying when I was there and kind of applied for a few different universities with different things around sustainability um, and ended up at University of Tasmania but it really helped me understand everything obviously better but also create structure and frameworks around the things that I wanted to build because I'm quite a I guess open-minded thinker that I have all these ideas and I'm like I'm always writing stuff down but to actually like put things on paper and actually build and spend the time like developing my own thing. I'm really good at developing other people's things, but when it comes to yourself, you're like, Oh, I don't want to work on it. Um, So, you know, it, for me going back to uni, I think brought more structure into my life because it also brought, you know, you have to have your assignments done and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas I've lived such an open life of doing things as need be and whatever it helped me structure the way I wanted to see everything going. And to be honest, I think in a way Corona helped me with that because I was stuck in one place. I wasn't going, Oh, I'm moving here. Oh, I'm moving there. I've got to go back here. I've got to back there. And there's, there's literally not much to do in my hometown. It's just, so I've been able to just purely focus on all, but yeah, going back to uni was definitely a big thing because it felt like a, which I was, I've actually since I'm now kind of, at two different unis at the moment in the past in the past four weeks I, I I'm going to finish my bachelor's in entrepreneurship so oh um so yeah the next six months is going to be hectic but basically now I'm studying applied entrepreneurship and which uh it feels good now and that honestly the the second degree part would not have happened if I hadn't have been here and corona hadn't have happened I wouldn't have even yeah, it's definitely brought more stability and structure for me into not only the business, but into, I think, life. 
the, the one thing I do that it's not uni that's the bad thing, right? It's not, it's not uni that's you know, the devil and we shouldn't go to uni. It's that we should go and make that investment once we know and we understand. The research process for you finding this course was totally different. The research was in high school, right? It was, I'm sure oh in high school, the paramedicine stuff was like, go to the biggest name, wherever you can get yeah. in with your highest data, right? And now it's like, yeah. but what's it give me? What information can I find? Like, I, and I'm just making assumptions here, but would that be? Oh yeah, like my, that was the thing. Like my first year in uni wasn't even paramedics. My first year in uni, and then I switched, which I was actually really lucky because a lot of the initial courses I could just like RPL. My first course was sports psychology and I hated it. I hated it with a passion. Like my first year was horrible because I was like, oh my God, none of this stuff is what I really want to do. And I'm like, do I want to be a psychologist for like a football team? No, like <laughs> I really don't. I thought that, but that was because, you know, at school I was an athlete myself and I kind of liked the mentality of like, oh, why do athletes like, you know, why do you train for six hours a day? And that was my thinking. And I was like, oh, no. And then I was like, oh, I like helping people and I like medicine, paramedics and still great career. But, you know, that was, it was just like this instant, like, oh, that's, oh, I have to do something. And, you know, my parents and society is telling me I have to go to uni and I have to be in the workforce and all of this kind of stuff. Whereas this time I actually um, targeted University of Tasmania because I know that they are one of a, the most sustainable in Australia, if not in the globe and their focus as a university, a lot of their courses actually bring sustainability and awareness and them as a university actually have all of this yeah, regenerative culture and sustainability. So I targeted them as well as a few, and I think there was one in Sydney, but Utah's was kind of my thing. And I was like, okay, I know that these guys are the ones that have this focus and what courses do they offer that are helpful to me in the area that I want to do it and what is it going to give me after? And how will I use that? And blah, 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 blah. And there was just so much more understanding of like, yeah, okay. I, you know, I already kind of had the image of what I needed and then finding how something fit into that rather than like, okay, like I need a job or I need, you know, people are telling me what to do and then just going into it. Um, so I definitely agree with you that, you know, it's not necessarily the uni. There are obviously some things depending on what you're studying where it can feel like what you learn in university isn't necessarily like what you need once you leave because things become like outdated and stuff. But um, yeah, I think it's more so that like having that understanding of what you actually want to do um, instead of just having to do it. And then also doing that research, because like for me, I, I did a Bachelor of Commerce and I came out with a marketing, like a marketing as a major and did no subjects on digital or social. And so if I had known anything about marketing earlier, I would have looked at the course and kind of questioned that instead of thinking this ATAR, like this is the best uni I can go to with this ATAR. So I've yeah. got to go there kind of thing. Or yeah. I think I looked at it more from a practical view, but if I had had that time in between, I probably would have still been wanting to do like a marketing or something like that, because I find that skill set so valuable regardless, yeah. but it could have been through short courses or other things and then had that money to then do it at another short course or another investment yeah. years later. Like now I find the, like, like social science stuff, super interesting. So I'm like, maybe I should yeah. have done a course on that. But again, like it's, it is, it, it, the uni or the education and upskilling part is so important 
if used in the correct way and like invested in it. Yeah, that's awesome. And and I'm so glad that you are doing that. And so for anyone who is thinking about it, because I think there's such a bad stigma against like going back to uni, especially if you've had a break. And um, it was definitely hard for me. I was like, am I actually going to do this? Like, you know, be a student again. I was like, uh, and I hear it from my friends as well. Like, yeah, I know I thought I was going to do that, but now I'm going back and, or I'm changing courses and all of that stuff. And it's like, it's not bad, man. Like I've changed how many jobs. So what's the difference in courses? Like we're still going to get to the same place eventually. At the end of every episode, I have three questions that I ask all of my guests. Jump straight into them if that's okay with you. So the first question that I have for you is what was the first small step you took to get to where you are right now? The first small step? I started using everything from like peanut butter jars to Vegemite jars as like containers. I just started keeping them all and then like taking them with me wherever I could instead of having like plastic containers and it kind of became an obsession of mine. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. So then what do you like, what do you use like that for? Like water or like? Um, I mean, my first thing was like I was using an old glass peanut butter jar for my coffee. So whenever okay, cool. it into, so that was like my takeaway coffee cup, which I had many different iterations with it because it was getting too hot to use and all of this kind of stuff. But then I would also put like quinoa salads in there or like, you know, whatever. I'd just like, yeah, put nuts in there, whatever I wanted to eat, basically. Oh my God, that's fun. I love that. <laughs> um, amazing. The next question is, what is your biggest millennial crisis right now? And I define a millennial crisis as a privilege problem that consciously or subconsciously affects your mental health. That would definitely be not being able to travel. Realizing that freedom of like that the world has been so small for us and that we've been able to, and especially as an Australian with our passport, you can basically travel wherever you want without having to have a visa and all of this kind of stuff. And that feeling of like, oh my God, Australia, we're not allowed to leave. And, you know, we live in a country that people would die to live in and it's a beautiful country. And it's just like, oh, but like all I can think about is going somewhere else. Yeah, that's definitely (laughs) affected me a lot over the past few months. I love that. Awesome. And then the final question is, what is one thing you still want to explore or are curious about? Oh, oh, wow. That's a really big one. Oh, wow. This one's got me stumped. It usually does. (laughs) (laughs) I think something that I'm super curious about is like language at the moment. I've always kind of really been interested in language, but I've never really stuck with anything. Trying to use this time now to, I think, like just recently really get into learning Dutch. After all the travel I've done and not speaking a second language, I just think the curiosity of being able to speak the language in a country gives you a whole nother experience of culture. And I think I, when I get the chance to go back, I want to see like, what does it feel like to actually be even further immersed in it? I love that. That's, that's cool. That's a good one as well. Um, Awesome. So I think you have a challenge for the listeners to do this week. Am I right? Yeah, I do. Awesome. Um, um, so what is your challenge for everyone this week? So I kind of thought long and hard about this because I didn't want 
to give something that was super difficult. I wanted it to be quite, um, quite easy, but I also wanted it to have like a lot of power behind it. And it's something that for me, I never considered, like it was one of the last things I ever thought about when I looked into sustainability, but it's the whole idea around divesting. I want people, I'm going to give them a challenge, which you can do if you're an individual or whether you're a business. So this is also why I chose this challenge. So if you have your own business or whether it's just your own yourself, challenge you to look into what bank you use and see whether they um, fund fossil fuels, whether they fund unethical stuff. There's a, you can literally just look at it up online, like does my bank fund fossil fuels? And it gives you a whole list of like how much money all the banks within Australia put into like different things and it like literally numbers it from like one to a hundred or whatever and tells you all the banks that are completely ethical and completely like renewable all of those banks will literally say like we can help you change over and i would like to challenge you to change your bank and just for your own sake like seeing whether you are currently with a bank that has a lot of money because the big four banks in australia all are like the biggest investors in that kind of thing such a small thing that you can do because it actually doesn't take too much time to transfer everything over, obviously, depending on how many things you have with investments and stuff. But it's one of those things that once you do it, you don't even have to worry about it. And it's like so much power because the more people that divest from banks that are investing in that thing, the less money they have to invest in it so that banks can use it to fund in you know, solar, in wind and all of that kind of stuff. So subconsciously, you're kind of pushing money in that direction instead of pushing it in the other. Yeah. Really cool. I love that. Oh, fun. Oh my God. Now I'm going to have to switch banks. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking like, already. I'm like, I'm a hunt. Like my bank's a hundred percent going to do that. Like I'm, I'm with one of the big banks, truly. Wow. Yeah. I never knew that. That's amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much to Neil for the challenge and for all of the knowledge that you've given us and your story today. I know I learned so much and I'm sure the guests did as well. So thanks so much for, for giving your time. And if people want to check out your work and all of that, where is the best place for them to find you? So at the moment, our Instagram is probably the best place. So that's just at space underscore creators underscore co. And all of that will be linked below as well. So you can check out all of Tanil's work at Space Creator Co. I'm really yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with everything. So thanks again. And yeah, looking forward to see everything. Awesome. You too. Thank you. And thanks very much for having me. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the podcast. I've added another element. If you don't follow us on Instagram already, you may or may not have heard about our millennial conversations. It's where I dive in deeper with more of the listeners and we chat through topics that I cover on the podcast from mental health to business to millennials in general. What we do is I gather like-minded people from all over the globe and facilitate interesting conversations on different topics. We just ran our first one last week and it was honestly so much fun. We had people from Melbourne, rural Victoria, South Australia, Perth, and also people coming in from Cairo in Egypt and Spain. So it was a really diverse group and the conversation was amazing. So if you want to join those, 
you can head to the bio in the Millennial Crisis Podcast Instagram or my Instagram at Demi Kotsouris or even the Millennial Crisis website, fill out the form and I will place you in a diverse group that fits the topics that you are interested in. They're a lot of fun and it is a little bit and I know it's scary to join a group to chat with complete strangers but I promise you it is so much fun and you'll thank yourself for pushing yourself to do it. So I hope to see you there. Thanks so much for listening again and I will see you next week. Bye.